The Athletic. Before we get started today, listeners, I'm going to take a punt and say that it's likely that some of you are gentlemen of a certain age and you've spent slash wasted several hours of your life playing football manager down the years. But if you wanted to get better at the game, you can join our very own Ian McIntosh, author of the world-famous Football Manager Stole My Life, on Tuesday the 25th of May for the Ultimate Football Manager Masterclass. Sports Interactive's Tom Davidson will deliver a top-level briefing on the secrets of FM21 and then former Rangers Aston Villa and Birmingham manager Alec McLeish will pass on some real-life lessons from his nearly 25 years in real-life management. There are top prizes to be won too, including the opportunity to take on McLeish in a live-streamed winner-takes-all game of FM21. The event is all online and you can get your ticket for only £7 right now over at link.dice.fm slash masterclass that's really catchy so we'll do it one more time link.dice.fm slash masterclass Hello there, welcome to the Zonal Marking Podcast End of Season Premier League Awards. Please take your seats. I'm your host, Ali Maxwell, joined by my glamorous assistants, Michael Cox and Tom Warville. They are the tactics and analytics honchos from The Athletic. Now, on Monday night, The Athletic announced its individual and team awards for the Premier League, as well as the WSL, the Championship and leagues across Europe. And on this episode of the Zonal Marking Podcast, we're going to put our own ZM Pod spin on things. You can read all about the winners of the official Athletic Awards on the Athletic site, and you can sign up to that at theathletic.com forward slash zonal marking. That's the place to get a sign up offer of just £3.99 for the first six months of your annual subscription. But the first and main chunk of today's podcast is the Zonal Marking Podcast alternative team of the season for the Premier League. We'll then finish with some bespoke awards in keeping with the footballing interests of Michael and Tom. Michael, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Ali. Pleased to be here, looking forward to this podcast. Award season can be exciting, can be frustrating, it can cause a lot of consternation, but we're here to have a good time today uh, and do the sorts of things that we like to do on this podcast and we hope that it'll go down well. I I need an explainer though. We've termed what's about to come the alternative team of the season, but what makes it alternative? We've been quite strict with the players we are talking about. We're not just excluding the 11 players who got into the overall team of the year as voted for by athletic writers, we're excluding anyone who got more than one vote. Uh, and we had, I think, about 40 writers who contributed and named their own 11. So, yeah, there's, um, as you can imagine, there's quite a, a long list of players who were named. So at times we had to be a little bit uh, creative with who we were playing and what positions and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to discuss some players who we probably haven't discussed Uh, any point previously this season. So it's established that there is a pretty large group of players that we are not able to choose from and I'm choosing to look at that as a positive. Lots of players to discuss today who deserve credit for a season well played. Here's the result of the Athletic Writers' combined vote. This is the official Athletic Premier League team of the season in goal, Emmy Martinez of Aston Villa. At the back, Cancelo, Stones, Diaz, all from Manchester City and Luke Shaw from Manchester United at left back. A midfield three of Gundogan flanked by Bruno Fernandes and Kevin De Bruyne and a front three with Harry Kane, the number nine, and Mo Salah 
and Hyung Min Son as the wide forwards. You guys are going to put forward your own alternative team of the season. None of those players eligible. Plenty of others as well that you can't choose from. Tom, first and foremost, it's very important to me when picking a team of the season uh, that you have a, a style, a formation in mind. What have you gone for here? Yeah, Ali, I've gone for a, a 4-2-2-2 actually in the, the style of the, um, I guess, the, the Red Bull Club, something they like to use a lot. And... Uh, I guess in the back of my mind when picking these players, I was also thinking that this is a team that that maybe actually could work if it played. I think you see a lot of a lot of teams of the seasons, and there was a, a, a good bit on Monday Night Football a couple of weeks ago now about you know oh yours isn't balanced and they, that would never work. It's too <laughs> top heavy, and um, yeah, I, I'd like to think that I am the manager at this point, and I've I've got that in mind. So um, yeah, I've gone for a hopefully well balanced four two two two. Michael, you would be seen dead putting together one of those teams of the season with, you know, four defenders and then essentially six attacking players wedged into uncomfortable midfield roles. What formation have you chosen for your alternative team of the season? 4-2-3-1. So yeah, fairly standard, but uh, I think it would work on paper. I've got a couple of pretty solid holding midfielders, so I don't think there's any danger in being overrun in midfield. I think some of the guys you're about to talk about have a really compelling case for having merited more votes uh, in the team of the season. Of course, so many good players in the Premier League of course and not everyone can be voted for let's start with the keeper because I think everyone has their own view on how you should approach picking a goalkeeper for a team of the season you know do you do you pick one of the top clubs goalkeepers an elite keeper with a ton of clean sheets and who knocks it about nicely plays lots of passes or or do you like to look a little bit deeper at the stats and try and find someone who has really provided a lot of value for his team with the saves that he's made you know the number one job for for most goalkeepers I think Emmy Martinez feels like a nice middle ground there really and quite a solid pick for goalkeeper in the main team of the season but who would be your main alternative Tom? I think Alphonse Areola at Fulham this season really deserves the shout and I think that um, I mean the main reason for that is he's got the best shot stopping numbers this season uh, we often on this pod uh, go off to FB Ref and look at their their kind of stats on powered numbers and he's got the most goals prevented this season with, with 7.5 which is more than any other keeper uh, and the same when you just for minutes played too so I think that He's been a fantastic shot stopper, even though you know Fulham have, have gone down, and he's done everything that he could really to to prevent that from happening. And I kind of think that you want a keeper who has been busy to some extent, or has been, you know, good even if he's not busy. And I think that Ariola kind of ticks both of those boxes. So if it wasn't for Martinez getting picked, he's arguably in the conversation. But Ariola for me has been uh, the best individual performer in goal from uh, definitely from a shot-stopping point of view uh, this season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was a difficult one for goalkeeper because I don't think there's been too many really outstanding keepers in the Premier League this year. I actually went for Schmeichel. I think there was only a couple of others who did. I wonder whether he would have got more votes had we voted after the FA Cup final just because it was a reminder of how good he was. But yeah, I mean, Ariola, he's, he's had a weird season because he's had he's made some weird mistakes that I think went unpunished by the referees. There was a game against Sheffield United where he made this really odd, like almost outfielder's tackle about six yards out right in front of his goal that went completely unpunished. And then last week against Burnley, he quite clearly handballed it outside his box and got away with that too, which I didn't really understand. There was a VAR thing where it wasn't actually a red card offence and then because it was outside the penalty area he got away with it. it just seems weird that a goalkeeper can do something outside the penalty area and still get away with it because it's outside the penalty area but yeah I agree with Tom he's had a really good season in terms of shot stopping he is just a really good goalkeeper I mean he was a regular for PSG a couple of years ago when they won Ligue 1 
So for a side like Fulham, newly promoted club to get him, I suppose a little bit like when they got Van der Sar when they were newly promoted back in 2001. But uh, yeah, he's had a good season. Doubt he will be around at Craven Cottage for their effort in the championship. But uh, I can imagine him going to a better side, maybe as a, a backup again. He, you know, he was used to that role for a bit at PSG. But I think he's, he's clearly better than, than being a, a relegation battler and indeed a, a player whose season has ended in relegation. Now, you've both got a back four in the Athletics team of the season, which was a 4-3-3. They had Joao Cancelo and Luke Shaw as the fullbacks, John Stones and Ruben Diaz in their trusty partnership in the middle. Uh, all of them were, were pretty far clear of the next most popular in terms of the, the cumulative vote. They were Fofana of Leicester, Harry Maguire, Johnny Evans and Rhys James as well. How about an alternative back four, guys? The, the unsung heroes that deserve some respect, starting with the right back, Tom. Yeah, I went for Luke Ayling at right back and although he split his time between right back and, and right centre back, I just think he's he's really great to watch and he's uh, there's something to be said for the way he can really carry the ball out um, from the back and he looks a bit ungamely at times and obviously he's, the hair's different and he is a very you know individual player but I think performance wise he's been fantastic I mean he does 8.5 tackles thousand challenges lost per a thousand opponent touches which is third amongst all right backs this season so very very busy and I mean carries it the seventh most of all right backs as well which shows his kind of ability to to really bring it out from the back and uh you know suitability to the the pass and move style that the Bielsa's um instilled at, at Leeds third most touch in the opponent box for right back as well which I think was was a bit underrated for me going through these figures and and six for expected assists too so there's a lot to to like there from an attacking and defensive point of view um and I just think Ailing's been really really solid for this Leeds team which I think few people would maybe have as a kind of underrated team of the season just because of of you know the quality of players coming into the year and and where they're probably going to finish in the table kind of sums up Leeds United Marcelo Bielsa and some of their individual players Michael that you've gone for another Leeds player in the right back slot yeah I agree with everything Tom said about Ailing, but I really want to have Stuart Dallas somewhere in the side he's played pretty much everywhere but I thought right back is a position that I remember him doing really well in more at the start of the season I remember he scored a goal against Newcastle in a 5-2 victory maybe where he ran into the box to head home at the far post and that was when he was playing as a right back and I thought that just typified everything about you know this Leeds United and he's he's there's just been various games where I really think he's been the key player I mean he scored both the goals in that absolutely crazy 2-1 victory uh, for Leeds at Manchester City when City won uh, 29-2 in terms of shots. Leeds had two shots, <laughs> both from Dallas, both from the edge of the box, both were goals. And particularly there was a 3-1 win over Leicester as well. I think we spoke about earlier in uh, early in the season on this podcast where he started as the main attacking threat, was always running in behind when Bamford was dragging defenders away, scored Leeds equaliser. Um, and then later in the game when Brendan Rodgers changed shape and put a second man up front, Bielsa then dropped him back to become a, a bonus centre-back. And I just thought that was, a, you know, again, really typified what these are all about. Great versatility. And um, I mean, I think there's various Leeds players that could have made this list. So, uh, yeah, the fact we've got two different Leeds players at right back, I think, does demonstrate their versatility, doesn't it? Well, let's talk centre-backs now in this alternative team of the season. And so often on this podcast this season, we've talked about the difficulty in judging centre-backs um, because... Often it's to do with the partnership and how well they complement each other. So in keeping with that, I'd like you to tell me about your centre-backs in their pairs. Tom, who have you got alongside each other at the heart of your defence? So on the right, I've gone for Esri Konza uh, of Aston Villa, just because I think he's... Real favourite of yours is old, is old Esri Konza, isn't he? 
Yeah, he is. Mainly, I think he was in quite unique FC. I probably need to listen to that episode back to actually get the, the names right when referencing it. But um, yeah, he's, he's the kind of player who is one of the more passive defenders in the league. But I just think that is a style that, that works for him and works for Villa. He looks to go for a tackle fewer than any other you know, centre-back in the league. He blocks more shots than any centre-back in the league. Uh, I think only Jamal Lascelles has been dribbled past less than him this season. In fact, I think David Luiz is, is there as well. But again, shows that he doesn't really dive out. He defends the space very well. And I think if you, you go back and look at the shots that Villa concede a lot of the time him and Tara Mings are kind of going centrally towards the ball closing the angle making the save easier for the goalkeeper and I think that's that's partly why Emi Martinez has maybe looked so good this season as well so a very good shot suppressor and then at left centre-back someone to compliment him who I think is fantastic on the ball and that's Adam Webster of Brighton has had his injury issues at times but he feels like that kind of next tier below in terms of if there was like a an England B team made up of the best you know Premier League Championship players he's probably in a shout to, to start on that side just because he's he's really good at carrying the ball out I think he looks so confident and it's not like he carries it out slowly as well he probably gets into you know goes through the gears as he's moving into midfield which I think is, is quite nice he's in the top 25% of, of defenders in Europe for progressive passes so he's passing through the lines top 10% for carries there and again a really clean tackler like Konza is solid in the air uh, and he's actually the second most I guess front foot defender where Liam Cooper has the higher proportion of his actions which are like tackles and fouls and interceptions and, and Webster is second to that so watching these two play together could be quite fun one is sitting back and very afraid to get stuck in the other one is very much piling forward and, and constantly going out but um, yeah I've been really impressed with Webster this season and uh, yeah hopefully can get a bit more fitness if Potter's still at Brighton next year I think that he's got a really good you know manager that he can he can build under uh, and still you know mid-20s and, and could perhaps um, see him you know if he keeps playing so well move to a, a better team mm. dare I say in the Premier League in the future I'd love to see a Conzo-Webster partnership on paper certainly as you've discussed it there it, it seems to make a lot of sense and both born in the EFL of course uh, Esri Conza's career path a, a classic EFL success success story Charlton Brentford and now Aston Villa uh, and Webster's as well different clubs but a similar theme really just constant progression Portsmouth Ipswich Town Bristol City and then Brighton and Hove Albion and, and and improving every single season as well it's been a real delight to follow so he set quite a high bar for you there uh, Michael and you've taken a different approach from the English EFL-born centre-back duo. Yeah, you say it's all about partnerships. I've gone for an all-Scandinavian centre-back <laughs> partnership. Lovely. Denmark and Sweden. Start with the Sweden. Victor Lindelof. I've never heard anyone praise him, ever. I just can't remember anyone saying anything good about him. And yet he's been a regular for the last couple of years in the Manchester United side who are going to finish second in the league. They've got a very good uh, record of keeping clean sheets in the big games, Manchester United, albeit generally nil-nils, but you can't really fault a centre-back for that. I mean, he's a funny player, Victor Lindelof. He's, he's, I would say, the complete opposite of traditional English centre-back. He's not physical. He's not particularly good in the air. And yet he does play a crucial role for Manchester United. He's very good, I think, at playing against a modern type of centre-forward. If he's up against a player who's about movement, uh, runs into the channels, he's very good at tracking them. He struggles against proper centre, uh, you know, old-school centre-forwards. I mean, uh, I remember their goal that uh, Diania scored for West Brom. I think it was his first one for West Brom. Against Manchester United, where he almost jumped over or jumped through Lindelof. He's not the best in those situations. But in some of the games against big sides, I think he's been really, really good. 
He's um, he's almost like a centre-back who is designed for playing against a false nine. And there's been some games as well. I remember the 0-0 draw with, with Chelsea at Old Trafford, which was, granted, not a very good game, horrible, wet, windy conditions. But he was really good at bringing the ball forward from defence. And, um, you know, Maguire gets a lot of credit for that. But I think sometimes Lindelof is, is very useful in that regard. And the player I've got alongside him is uh, Joachim Anderson of Fulham. Uh, I just think he's a really good all-rounder. I mean, I think the fact that he was made captain after two or three games kind of summed up what a big impact he made at the club he's good in the air he's very composed on the ground he brings the ball forward well his long range passing is very good he's a threat of set pieces I can only really remember one major mistake which was when he miscued a clearance for a Gabriel Jesus goal at Craven Cottage I think that was the opener which was a shame because Fulham had been playing well in that game um, he was sent off against Newcastle but was overturned later that was quite a harsh red card um, he's like Ariola, he's on loan uh, also from a French club from Lyon and again, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't find his way to a pretty good club. I think both Tottenham and Arsenal have been linked with his services. I don't know if there's any truth in those reports, but I think on the basis of his performances, uh, it very much makes sense. You've gone for the same left-back, our second joint pick after Ariola in Nets. Uh, and it's the Villa left-back, Matt Target, Tom. Uh, what puts him uh, in this position in your alternative team in the season? Yeah, I went through a, I mean, a bunch of stats, obviously, for each of these positions. And there wasn't a ton about Target that really jumps out. I mean, he's, he's average creation-wise in terms of create chances in open play and, and, and expected assists. Does like to get the, the ball forwards quite a lot, though. I mean, he's, he's in the top quarter of players for the number of passes into the final third. Really strong, so 3.2 aerials per 19. And he's in about the top 20% as well for um, left-backs in terms of the, the proportion of aerials that he wins. But I think the main thing is just, for me, minutes played and, and the linking up between him and whoever's playing left wing for Villa. It really says something about his quality that he can consistently get picked week on week. And I think he's played more minutes than all left-backs this season. I, I think there's some good signal in that, that he's doing the right things, even though we can't really appropriately measure defenders at times. So yeah, I just think he's been a very solid, very dependable fullback, and of which there's not been too many around this season who either haven't been voted for you know, by our, by our writers or have been you know far more injury-prone and, and inconsistent. So yeah, I think Target's been, uh, been really, really good for Villa this season. Yeah, I completely agree. I remember there was a game, probably about November or December, where Villa beat Newcastle 2-0. I was watching it on Sky on Friday night, and they made a big thing in the the kind of pre-match show about how Target was going to be a big threat going forward and Newcastle would really have to watch him. And I was thinking, really, Matt Target? I think of him as quite pedestrian, a little bit sluggish in possession at times. But they were spot on. He assisted the opening goal. He was brilliant all game. I think it helps for him, obviously, that he's playing behind Grealish, who's very good at occupying two defenders, sometimes three defenders on his own. So he gets a lot of space on the overlap. It hasn't been closed down too much. But that's not to take any, uh, anything away from his performance this season. He's been excellent. I'd say one of the most improved players in the entire league. Yeah, available, dependable, consistent. Uh, and with a lot of quality as well. Matt Target is a, a joint pick. Just to recap the team so far, we've got our goalkeepers and our back four. Tom, you've got Ariola in goal, a back four of Luke Ayling, Esri Konza, Adam Webster and Matt Target. And Michael, you've got Ariola in goal as well with Dallas, Lindelof, Anderson and Target, both building some interesting teams here. As we move into the midfield, where in the official athletic team of the season, we had, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, Ilkay Gundogan flanked by Kevin De Bruyne 
and Bruno Fernandes uh, either side of him. Uh, there was a huge drop in terms of the voting numbers to the next highest voted player. So this was not a tight one. Declan Rice and Mason Mount were joint fourth, which I thought was a nice touch given that they are best mates and have essentially been inseparable um, for most of their lives so far. But we're looking not for the next best. We're looking for the truly unsung heroes, those underrepresented uh, in that vote. You've both picked two central midfielders and the first one is a joint pick. So Tom, uh, why don't you tell me just how overlooked Pierre-Emile Hoybier has been? I was really surprised with, with Hoybier that he only got one vote uh, in the kind of whole awards process just because, I mean, he's been involved in the build-up to more goals than any Premier League player this season. Um, I think that really highlights his ability to to win the ball back, to play it forwards into the you know, the more attacking players on, on Spurs. And I mean, there have been times, obviously, under Mourinho this season where they've not really had a midfield. It's been, they've played so deep that he's kind of patrolling out wide. And remember, Michael did a piece where he kind of doubled up as a another fullback at times, along with Musa Sissoko. So I think that there's been a, a level of tactical variability to his game, but I just think he's been pretty solid. I mean, his turnover rate, so the proportion of his touches in which he loses possession, is the 11th best among central and defensive midfielders. He's very active in terms of trying to win the ball back, and yeah, kind of does that. He's 15th highest in the league for the, the volume of what we call true tackles, the tackles, fouls and challenges lost for central and defensive midfielders. So very kind of Active, a decent ball progressor, and I think he's had a couple of really nice, incisive assists this season. The one that really sticks in mind is uh, against United um, in the 6-1 victory at Old Trafford, where obviously United are down to 10 men, but he plays a really clean through ball to to Serge Aurier through about two or three players. And that, for me, shows that he doesn't do it often, but if he needs to, he's kind of got that in his locker. So yeah, I think that Hoybier has been uh, been lucky not to be voted more, but definitely in my team this season. Well, Spurs have got two at the front three, don't they? In Kane and Son. Michael, is Hoybier a bit of a forgotten man? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Tom and, and yet also I understand why he only got one vote because, you know, my three were the three that made the, the team. How do you leave out De Bruyne? How do you leave out Gundogan? And how do you leave out Fernandes? But yeah, I mean, it goes back to what you said at the, at the top alley, that if you... If you're very strictly picking a side with balance and you want a proper holding midfielder, I think there's a good chance Hoiberg would get most people's votes. I guess either him or Rice, as you mentioned earlier. I completely agree with Tom about the the through balls. It's, it's not something he's doing constantly, but sometimes he does it, and it's just incredibly slick and incredibly uh, incisive. He's done it two or three times for some some decent goals. I think a couple of times for Harry Kane goals. It's really taken me by surprise, but. Yeah, he's probably slightly a victim of recency bias as well in terms of the voting because he was, I think everyone acknowledged he was really good in the first two or three months of the season after he joined from Southampton. Of course, that's when Tottenham were doing really well. And I think in keeping with Spurs, he's maybe slightly fallen away in the, the second half of the campaign, maybe a little bit of tiredness. I always think he doesn't quite look the most naturally, he's not, he's not really a natural athlete, I think, compared to some other midfielders. And he's looked a little bit sluggish at times. But overall, I think he's had a good season. He's the kind of player who he's almost dependent on others, you know, putting Tottenham into a good situation and then he gets the credit, you know, doing the dirty work in, in deeper positions. You're never really going to praise a defensive midfielder for a top side if the if the other players aren't doing their thing. But yeah, he's had a good first season, I suppose. Yeah, I, I just had a quick stat there on on his kind of through balls and incisive passes and looking at the number of successful line-breaking passes he's made um, per 90, according to data from, from Sportlogic, whose data we use sometimes in terms of running stats and, and ones like this. Um, he's in the 92nd percentile for uh, for 
central and defensive midfielders, so makes 8.9 of those per 90. So I think he's only really bested by the likes of Xhaka, uh, Rodri, Thiago and, and Thomas Partey. So yeah, I think that shows that you know that is a, a big side of his game and maybe you know Ryan Mason or whoever the next manager is can make far more use of that moving through the phases than, than Mourinho has done this season. Got some good players to fire the ball into, doesn't he? Both in terms of Kane and how excellent he's been dropping in with his back to goal but also Son coming off the flank with his good movement and receiving the ball to feet as well as in behind at times this season Uh, Michael trust you to make sure that you've got someone to take set pieces your second central midfielder is is possibly the one that really represents the alternative team of the season the best this is uh, the most alternative pick of all in my eyes yeah I agree I mean Tom's pick is uh, is probably the better choice if I'm being honest because he's had a better season but He's just a, quite an underrated player. It's Ashley Westwood of Burnley. And we all know that the Burnley play a completely different style from everyone else in the league. Uh, it's based around set pieces. It's based around getting the ball really quickly to, to Chris Wood. And I think Westwood does that really well. I think he's up there with the best set piece takers in the league. People talk about Ward-Prowse as being a player who is almost primarily a set piece taker and had to be accommodated somewhere. He's now made his home in the centre midfield. But I think Westwood's done that really well. Um, there's certain things he's not good at. I don't think he's the quickest. I think it's... He's not a player who's, who's going to move to a bigger club anytime soon, but I think he's quite an intelligent player in his distribution. I think he works really well with Wood as well. You know, he can drift to the right and send crosses in towards him. But I think Wood's actually underrated in terms of going in behind the defence. He's not just a target man. He, he can score different types of goals. He scored a really good goal against Fulham. Uh, when was it? Last Monday, I think it was. Um, and I think Westwood supplies him very well. So, yeah, I... I uh, I appreciate this is a very alternative choice, but he's the kind of player who I think is just a, a fundamental part of a side who continually punch above their weight in the Premier League. I think he deserves some kind of recognition. And Tom, it feels like Westwood, although he deserves that recognition, is unlikely to receive much transfer interest for other from rather other Premier League clubs. But you've gone with Eve Basuma, who my brief forays online each day it feels like Basuma's name is cropping up more and more in terms of uh, recruitment uh, at the high Premier League level of a certain type of midfield player yeah definitely I mean he's someone who's just very 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 good in, in his individual challenges I mean he's the second best midfielder in terms of winning jewels in the air he's the third best in terms of winning them on the ground and I think that he's an interesting profile where he doesn't cover a lot of ground he doesn't move around at a high intensity or, or at sprinting speeds all that often so I think he's someone who's probably better suited to more of a holding midfield role and that's why I'm, I'm somewhat surprised with the links to Liverpool to replace Genie Wijnaldum because it, I feel that Wijnaldum's got a bit more pop than than Basuma does but um, retains the ball really well if he's under pressure he can he can pass his way out of it uh, he quite Quite likes taking players on as well, which I think is useful. So I just think, again, he's another one who, from a numbers point of view, was a bit of a no-brainer to get into this team, especially if uh, if no one was was voting for him. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, let's move forward to the top of the pitch now, the attacking midfielders or wide players. In the athletic team of the season, it was Salah and Son playing in the wide forward roles uh, with Kane through the middle, of course. Grealish just missed out in the vote. Behind him was Foden uh, and then a smattering 
of others, but some really exciting names for us to talk about. Uh, and in fact, this is where your formations slightly take different paths because, Tom, uh, you're playing 4-2-2-2. So you've got a right winger and a left winger. Michael, you've got th- the three players here behind the front man. And actually, Tom, both of your picks are matched by Michael Cox. So you can both tell me about Matthias Pereira. But first... Let's talk about another Leeds player that has lit up the Premier League this season in Rafinha. Why is he in both of your teams, starting with you, Tom? I think for me, it's just, it's not really his, the stats or his output. Like he's done pretty well this season in terms of goals and assists, but it's just like the way he moves, he's absolutely rapid um, in terms of, you know, starting counters, maintaining counters, pressuring off the ball. Uh, and he's, you know, very, very good with the ball at his feet as well. So I just think that, you know, that that combination, it's easy to see why he's linked with, with the likes of Liverpool and, and other sides. And I mean, for Leeds, for what, £15 million pounds is, um, is is crazy good value. So yeah, I've been really impressed with Rafinha. Um, just how quickly he's adapted to the league. It's almost like he he was ready to go from kind of day one. Um, and yeah, he's been been really, really impressive. Yeah, I completely agree about the, the from day one. I remember his debut against Arsenal. He looked absolutely brilliant cutting aside from the right. I think he's got the potential to be sensationally good. I mean, one of the best players in the league. Uh, I remember a couple of great goals he scored, one against Everton when he just fizzed it through a defender's legs into the bottom corner from about 25 yards. I like the fact he's got a really good relationship with Harrison on the other side. Plays a lot of diagonals over to that flank. I think Harrison's actually another contender for this kind of team. I think he's been a really good player throughout the campaign. Um, And they can swap flanks as well, which gives some tactical options. The thing I like about Rafinha as well is, you know, the first time you look at him, he looks fast and frantic and direct and he's going to go for goal. But I think he's got a bit of patience in counter-attacking situations. I think that's really important for a side like Leeds. I've often thought over the years that Bielsa's sides, they're so intent on doing everything at 100 miles an hour that sometimes they rush things when actually they get into good situations. And he's got the presence of mind sometimes to just slow an attack, wait for a runner, wait for an overlap. Just little things like that, I think, show that he's a really intelligent player. And as well, you know, we talk about almost every winger these days is an inverted winger. And uh, I think they players like that can become a little bit too intent on shooting. But he's actually a good crosser as well with his left foot from from the right flank for, for Bamford or, or Harrison. Like I say, there's been a few diagonal balls over towards him. So, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed watching him. And um, it's been, I think it's been quite a difficult season for players adapting to the Premier League. We talk about signing of the season. I mean, it's not that many who you'd say have, have done really well, certainly Ruben Diaz. But in terms of attacking players, I can't think of that many who've done better than Rafinha. So, yeah, I think he's very deserving of a place in both my team and Tom. I'm really pleased about the next pick. It's a player who I thought was just next level for the championship last season in West Brom's promotion season. And I was hopeful that they'd be in a good position for him to shine in the Premier League. Now, of course, West Brom have been relegated. They're on 26 points from 36 games. And this is where I'm really enjoying this alternative team of the season because it's not that we're ignoring the top six or eight teams. We've had Lindelof, we've had Hoiberg. We're going to hear about a couple more as well in due course. But I think this has been a nice way of flagging up some high-performing individuals from teams who may have struggled uh, overall. And Matias Pereira certainly fits the bill here. Michael, what... What is it about Pereira and when did you realise this was a player that, you know, albeit playing in a struggling side that have struggled to pick up wins, was someone who could stick around at this level and thrive? I mean, he always looked talented, didn't he? He's one of those players, the first time we see him, he's got he's got technique, he's got grace on the ball. I actually think he's he's been one of the beneficiaries of Allardyce taking over. Actually, I think he's, he's done really well since Christmas. There was a two-all draw with Fulham. It was early on in the Allardyce reign where he was struggling to get things together as a manager 
But I think that Pereira scored one, assisted the other that day. He was just the only really good thing about West Brom. I mean, he's very creative. He can strike from distance. We know about his set pieces. He's quite versatile. He's played from the right. He's played as a number 10. He was also really superb in that 5-2 win at Chelsea, which was one of the madder results of the Premier League campaign. Just absolutely ran and ragged. And he's yet another one who I'd be surprised if he was playing in the Championship next year. I guess we said... That this time last year about uh, Buendia, who's, I guess, a similar type of player. And he did remain in the championship. But I think Pereira is the kind of player who could potentially just play this same role again for a side in the table or something. Or even maybe move to one of the bigger clubs. I mean, there's a few sides towards the top of the table who could deal with rotation options for players and attacking positions. And, you know, on, on the basis of his season, of his goals and assists, I know some have come from penalties in terms of goals, but... He's, he's got quite a few goal contributions for a side who don't have many other attacking options. So, um, yeah, he's had a very good season. I think you're right on that, Michael, definitely in terms of a, a transfer option. And he's maybe not got the same level of running, but I can really see him as a West Ham signing next season. Just someone who can play kind of all across the, the front three, um, has got set-piece delivery if they need it, runs with the ball really well, can create, and, and he's actually been a lot better under Allardyce, like you said, than, than Bilic. I think his his XG has, has crept up by 10 to 15%. His XA has nearly doubled uh, with, with Allardyce. So, yeah, a lot, to, a lot to like in this game. I've kind of shoehorned him in on the left, but I just think that he, he's someone who hasn't really had a lot of the ball this season and for an attacking mid I think that that's always an interesting thing of you know if they've not created a lot it's because they've not had a lot of supply to create from 49 touches per 90 I think we've we've mentioned on this pod before when we covered the the now relegated sides is is not a lot for an attacking midfielder so um, yeah I'm intrigued to see where he goes next because he's been uh, he's certainly been the best of a, a fairly bad bunch for, for West Brom this season 10 goals and 6 assists are the sort of top line numbers now that's 16 goal contribution for a team that have only scored 33 goals in the league is a very, very impressive standout performer for West Bromwich Albion. Michael, you've got the third in behind the striker, a West Ham player. Yeah, there's a few West Ham players who've had good seasons and I've gone for Jared Bowen. I think quietly he's been really effective. He's a good counter-attacking runner in a broadly defensive side. He's scored eight goals. He's got five assists. He's sometimes had to play almost as a floating forward because West Ham have had Antonio out and they don't really have any other strikers. So sometimes it's been him and Lingard playing as almost double false forwards, if you want to call it that. He's a good set-piece taker. I think he's another one who, um, you know, I said about Target earlier, has, has almost been lucky to be playing behind Grealish. I think Bowen's another player who's had a, a great partnership with his fullback. You know, Kufau is another player who, who could have come into this side right back. And he just... He, he gets he gets a very high number of goals. He, he did that for Hull uh, across three seasons in the championship. Really good numbers. And, and like I say, West Ham, are, they play very deep. I mean, really deep. And he's still got uh, eight goals, which is a pretty good return for a player in his position. And he does things that I, I don't expect of him. He scored a really nice flicked header against Aston Villa. You don't expect Jared Bowen to be popping up with headed goals, but he did that. I think he's five foot nine, so not the most uh, obvious aerial target. But yeah, he just seems a really good player. And he's only 24, had an interesting career. Started out in the, in the conference with Hereford and has come up through the EFL, um, as I'm sure you'll be keen to point out, Ali. So yeah. I think he's had a really good season. And I just like watching him. He's just uh, a little bit like Rafinha. He's just exciting to watch when he gets the ball. Just over seven years ago, he scored his first professional goal for Hereford United against Alfreton Town in the National League. As you say, he's only 24. So quite the journey already. Up to this point, your teams are Tom, Ariola, 
ailing Konza Webster target, a midfield of Hoiberg and Bissouma with Rafinha and Pereira. You really are going all out attack here uh, with your front four. Michael, perhaps a little more conservative, maybe a little more balanced, but is it as fun? I'm not so sure. You've got Ariola in goal, a back four of Dallas, Lindelof, Anderson and Target. Hoiberg and Westwood in midfield, Rafinha, Matias Pereira and Jared Bowen behind the front man. Now up top in the official team, Harry Kane was the number nine. Of course, he won that by miles in terms of the vote. Uh, Others who were kind of up there or quite a long way away, but there or thereabouts were Patrick Bamford, Marcus Rashford, Jamie Vardy, Calvert-Lewin also got some votes as well. Uh, You guys have gone for some different names here. Tom, why don't you talk me through your front two? I would love to see these two dovetailing, playing up top together. Yeah, I think you can... You can see it, Ali, probably, can't you, but, uh, at some point. Mm. But yeah, I've gone for, for Kelechi and Acho. There's obviously a bit of a, a small sample bias here, and he's been good recently, but I just think that he's been so good when he's played of late, um, both in terms of, of creating and scoring, and in terms of his goals and assists per 90, only Kane has been better this season. 0.88 per 90 is is sensational, really, and one to look out for if he can keep it up and obviously keep his, keep his fitness, but his link play generally has been excellent, better than Vardy, and you know I think that's obviously required in a side like Rogers, if you can't get that you can't get that running behind you need to stage attacks higher up the pitch and I don't think Vardy is, is the man to do that really finishing has been excellent he can beat players he likes to to take them on I think he averages three take-ons per 90 and, and completes them at a, a pretty good rate as well which again for a striker is, is fairly rare so Leicester have had a, a decent season maybe fallen away in the league a little bit but he's been a, a you know a shining example up top of what happens if you just can stick at it I mean I don't think many people would have predicted he, he'd have had this quality season a few years ago when you know when he's really tailed off and, and there was all those comparisons between him and Rashford and arguably this season Inacio has actually been the better player so he's on one side and then on the other I was thinking purely you know 4-2-2-2 need to have a, a real pressing force and, and Ollie Watkins gets the vote here just because you know first season in the Premier League I think Michael was saying that we're struggling for examples of players who've come to the league and done really well. I think Watkins is a, a you know, arguably in the the conversation for signing the season at least from a, a lesser quality league. Um, all due respect to the championship, but I mean this season, everything you, <laughs> Michael nodding, everything you you need to know about Watkins is probably summed up by the fact that he's he's got his first England cap and an England goal recently. He's a striker who can press, he can carry the ball, he picks it up well in the box. He's also played more than any other striker in the league, which I think, along with you know him, with targets, is a real reason of why they were punching above their weight early in the season, because they had their best 11 consistently, game after game. And, and obviously when that happens, um, <laughs> you know results are kind of going to go your way because you're playing your best players, you're playing your starters and you're not having to rely on, on the backups or the rotation options who are um, of, you know, of lesser quality. So yeah, I think... Watkins and Iheanacho have both had very good individual seasons and, and, and well worth a shout in our alternate team of the season. Watkins had played every single minute of the Premier League season until he was sent off the other day uh, and then obviously missed one game, came back, played the full 90. It's an incredible feat of athleticism as much as anything else and it allows me to use the phrase which I think has been obligatory in most podcasts this season, an amazing feat in this season of all seasons, guys, of all the seasons. And if Jared Bowen's 
story of his first professional goal, Michael, seven years ago for Hereford in the National League was good. How about the man who's playing up top for you, who scored his first professional goal for Tamworth, also in the National League, then called the Conference Premier in January 2012 and took a long route to the very top. Yeah, I still think of it as the Conference rather than the National League, but that's a sign of my age. Yeah, I've gone for Callum Wilson. I wasn't convinced how we do away from Bournemouth, but he's had a really good season again in a side that I think is difficult to, to play in for an attacker. He's maybe the opposite to, to Watkins in the sense his career has always been held back by injuries. Um, and he's had a, a couple of injury niggles this season. But I, I remember back to the, the win over Everton, which was 2-0. It's maybe the best centre-forward display I've seen all season. He scored a superb header, near-post flicked header, the best type of header in my opinion. And then a really good one against one finish from the right channel. Um, and Newcastle have, have often played with a number 10 and then two runners in the channels, almost two wide forwards. Um, which is quite unconventional for a Steve Bruce side, I would suggest. But he's done really well playing on the right of that. Sometimes it's been him and Ryan Fraser actually in those positions, which is the old Bournemouth partnership. They were almost the original Son and Kane teaming each other up for assists a couple of seasons ago. So yeah, Callum Wilson, I've always been slightly cautious with, with him. He's just something about him at Bournemouth. I thought maybe he was just the right fit for that system. But he's done really well in a very different system at, at Newcastle. So, yeah, I, I, again, I think Tom's um, Tom's selections are probably two players who've had better seasons. But as a bit of an alternative, I think Wilson deserves a, a mention. I feel like throughout this, you've kind of realised as you went that a lot of Tom's picks were better than your picks, which is, you know, it's unlikely. You're normally, you're normally quite bullish about these things. But well done to both of you. We have two excellent alternative teams of the season. It has allowed us to give... Props and kudos to some players who perhaps haven't had the respect that they deserve this season for some brilliant campaigns. I'm not going to run through the teams again, uh, but just to say that Watkins and Ian Acho finished off uh, Tom Warville's heavy pressing 4-2-2-2 formation. Uh, and Michael finished his team off with Callum Wilson in front of that uh, trio of Rafinha, Matias Pereira and Jared Bowen. It, has, it does mean that we've got quite a nice five-a-side team of joint picks. Uh, so both of your teams had Ariola in goal, Target at left-back, Hoybjerg in midfield, Rafinha and Matthias Pereira. Now, I would pay to watch them play in like Power League five-a-side. You'd have Ar- Ariola making flashy saves, Target, who's that kid that doesn't say a word for the whole game but plays every single game, never misses it, gets dropped off by his mum and picked up afterwards as well. Hoybjerg would be snapping people in half, getting involved in any and every scuffle that came about and most of them would be caused by Rafinha and Matias Pereira um, basically humiliating the opposition and getting booted up in the air. I could see those two essentially making a pact with themselves that they're only allowed to score if there's a nutmeg involved at some point in the move. Um, So there you go. Thank you for putting those teams together. Really enjoyed hearing you talk about that group of individuals. We've got a couple of bespoke awards Um, It's fun at this stage of award seasons to come up with some slightly left field alternative awards, I suppose, outside of the the tried and tested, which get a lot of airtime. We'll start with the most underrated player this season. And I suppose everyone we've spoken about probably applies to this. In the official athletic vote, it was Thomas Suchek who won this. Riyad Mahrez was uh, sort of highly commended as well. Other multiple voters or votees were Cresswell, Johnny Evans, Patrick Bamford, Yuri Tielemans and Eve Basuma with two votes and then a load of others with one, which I think shows how much this question of underrated players and therefore overrated players has different interpretations. Let's not get bogged down in arguing how we measure this, uh, Michael. Who do you think is, is your most underrated player 
in the Premier League this season? I've just gone for one who was in the 11 that I mentioned before and it's Lindelof just because I think you know the very essence of being underrated is that you never really hear anyone say that he's good and like I say he never gets any praise but doesn't have too many problems. I mean, he's not perfect. I think he was poor against Liverpool last week. It seems like he does need Maguire alongside him. But then I'd argue, I think Maguire needs a player like Lindelof alongside him. So, uh, yeah, going for Lindelof. Yeah, I've gone for Jack Harrison, um, who started the season off with an absolute banger at Anfield and arguably one of the games of the season, which I think Liverpool prevailed 4-3 in the end. But, um, yeah, he's a, he's a pressing machine. He's got eight goals and eight assists. Um He's got, a, I think, a £15 million obligation for Leeds, which, again, is just it's mad mad value for, for them. And I used to actually watch him in his, his MLS days a few years ago um, when he was a 19, 20-year-old. And, and even at that point, I mean, the, the league is of lesser quality, but you could see he was a, a cut above already. And he overcame kind of a, a bad fit in terms of the spell that he had on loan at Middlesbrough. And for Leeds, he's, he's just been really, really good. And Ali again, another EFL Academy graduate. Um, but I guess you, you've seen the, the the progression season on season, and now that you know, I, I imagine at some point in the next couple of years, we're talking about Harrison and the England team at some stage because it just feels that that is the the trajectory that he's on. Really, I also asked you guys for the most adaptable player, every manager's dream, the sort of guy that would be in quite unique FC, and you both picked Stuart Dallas. Now, given we've already spoken about him on this episode and many previous episodes, he really is a huge favourite of this podcast and there's a special award Michael just for you at the tactical switch of the year I cannot think of anything more Michael Cox what takes the gong yeah it's uh, Leicester against Liverpool Leicester 1-0 down 20 minutes to go Rodgers I think was using a 4-3-3 uh, made a substitution changed to a midfield diamond for the last 20 minutes uh, and Liverpool suddenly couldn't cope with the two runners into the channels Leicester turned a 1-0 loss. They were heading forward into a 3-1 win. And that could prove really crucial for the Champions League qualification. Uh, as as things stand, I, th- I think there's three points difference between the sides. So that could prove uh, very, very crucial for them. And yeah, like I say, it was just a, a good example of a, a switch that really won a game. And we've made one for you as well, Tom. Don't worry. This award is called the Data Darling of the Year. Now, every season, there's someone that the numbers guys absolutely love. Someone or something, a team perhaps, a manager, a player, uh, someone or something that doesn't necessarily reap what they sow in terms of underlying performance numbers or just doesn't get mainstream recognition for whatever reason. I'm going to ask you who it is, but I'm first going to ask Michael, can you guess what the theme of this might be? Yeah, well, I I think it's going to be something to do with uh, expected goals on the side who have underperformed them this season. (laughs) Taking a trip to the south coast, are you for the data darling of the season, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Graham Potter and Brighton really deserve it, just because again we put so much stock in these numbers, and hopefully they'll they'll uh, they'll come back good next season and show everyone that um, you know they actually are worth worth believing in. But yeah, I mean, I think Potter's instilled a style of play which you know you wouldn't be surprised to see. Uh, you know the bigger teams in the league playing with with a much higher budget. He's obviously worked so well with the recruitment team, with with the likes of Joel Veltman coming in, who I think has been really solid this season. Danny Welbeck as well in recent weeks, really really great. You know some great performances, some really crucial goals, um, and they're still eking out quality from from Pascal Gross, who was I think three and a half million pounds from Ingles stat all those years ago when Brighton were originally promoted. So yeah, I think that 
you know, by the numbers, they're the third best defense in the league. They barely concede shots. Um, they're about mid-table going forward. But you know, in a different timeline, a different season, this Brighton side is is arguably in a European spot potentially. That's just the way it, it could go with these numbers. So, yeah, I think they've been the the data darlings of the season. You know, we couldn't probably do this awards without mentioning them and, and Graham Potter. Uh, and yeah, we'll we'll see you next season if he's still at the club whether they can. Uh, turn performances into results well well done to Brighton the data darlings of the season uh, as anointed by Tom Warville thank you so much both of you guys for your work in putting together these alternative teams of the season for the Premier League really enjoyed it Uh, I hope you the listener have enjoyed that as well thank you for spending uh, this time with us next week we'll be previewing the Champions League final as in-depth a tactical preview as we can muster uh, with Michael on board for that, of course. Please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. You can get every episode as soon as it drops. And make sure you're reading all the stuff that Tom and Michael are writing and contributing to on The Athletic. If you head to theathletic.com forward slash zonal marking, you can sign up for an annual subscription. And for the first six months, you'll pay just £3.99. Join us next week and throughout the Euros on The Zonal Marking Podcast. We'll talk again soon. The Athletic.